I went to visit Ruth Kyle yesterday, and uh, she's getting ready to, uh, for her send-off to glory, uh, so you can be praying for Ruth Kyle. And as I wandered out of her place, uh, she lives in one of these extended care homes, and uh, there was a garage sale going on. So I'm a Mennonite, which means I like garage sales and deals. So I come across uh, an unopened video series of Faulty Towers. So you know you're going to be hearing that humor in a little bit. And I also came across uh, a bunch of seasons on Seinfeld. So Seinfeld got me thinking about, remember he's got this show now where he gets up in a fancy car and he picks up some kind of um, glamorous guy and they go for a drive and they just talk about stuff and they go for coffee or whatever it might be. I don't know if you haven't seen it or not. But it's interesting because somebody brought this up is that he took one comedian for a drive who's often like all over the place, ADHD kind of squirrel and all over. And finally, he just all of a sudden stopped and looks at, at Seinfeld and says, hey, Jerry, when is it that you feel most fully loved? And it was just like, what? You know, when is it that you feel most fully loved? And it's interesting because I brought that over to my table yesterday when we were having tomato soup and, and what did I call it? Grilled cheese sandwiches. As, as you can tell, my wife is not home. So the rest of us, and we go around the table, and it was interesting to hear my little four-year-old, seven, nine, twelve, and then my father-in-law, and almost everyone, if not all of them, had to do with relationship. When do you feel most fully loved? And it was in relationship. Really interesting stuff. I, when I first moved here back in 99, one of my best friends and one of my dearest friends was a guy named Jack. Jack and uh, Tom were often inseparable. And they said, you can, you can remember our names, and this is what they said, you can remember it, as we were driving down the road, and to the left, all of a sudden, there was two donkeys. And he says, my name is Tom, and that's Jack. You see that donkey? If you don't get this, read the King James Bible, okay? You know what another word for donkey is, right? So it was just the funniest thing. He'd always uh, um, introduce himself like that. Now, this guy came around, and uh, he would drop in on Shirley, my secretary that time, or me. But I probably went for drives, like Seinfeld, except not in an expensive car. Me and him would go driving probably twice a week. We would go, and he'd go, turn right, turn right. No, what are you doing? You know, he, he, it was really funny, this guy. And sometimes he would overdo it, and I'd say, Jack, i got to drop you off at home if you're going to keep that up. Or other times it would turn into great conversation. We'd be singing silly songs. He was in the war. So he'd sing silly songs that I got to know. And all of a sudden, it would flip over to Amazing Grace. And then all of a sudden, there'd be, he'd be fighting back a tear because he remembered his wife. And you could just see that all of a sudden, the, the conversation went from up here, surface level, to all of a sudden, something that really impacted him. And when did he feel most loved? My good old Jack. When, when um, my, my mom, who's now gone to glory, she would fly out here. And one thing she liked to do is actually find Jack and just in just a couple seconds say, Jack, thank you so much for being uh, a friend for my son. Jack was in his 80s. And here I was maybe 31 at that time. And we were just a, a, an intergenerational, intergenerational relationship. But I love that guy. It was really cool. Remember him, Shirley? Good old Jack. <laughs> you never knew what you're going to get. Nonetheless. So today, one of the things I want us to see is that quality time comes out of quantity time. So if you have a teenager and you think you're a busy, important man at work, you're CEO, and you go, all right, son, I got half an hour. Tell me, how are things going? 
how are things in your life, spiritual life? Like, do you think you're really going to get much out of your teenage son or daughter if you slot half an hour? And the people said, no, thank you very much. Yeah, totally. So quality time often comes out of quantity time. So even with Jack, I'd drive around and sometimes we'd be doing whatever. And then all of a sudden there'd be a beautiful tender moment where I could pour into his life or he poured into mine for sure. And today we have gone on to our second sermon on the series, Helping People Reach Their God-Given Potential in Jesus Christ. And what we're trying to do is also unveil the values that back up that mission. And one of the first values that I want to talk to you about today is the value of this. We value at White Rock Community Church, we value dynamic community or dynamic relationships. So you're going to see, uh, pretty soon we're going to print it and put it in your hands, but you're going to see that there's words and those words were chosen carefully. So it's just not relationships or community, it's dynamic relationship and community. And I'm going to parse out what I mean. And every one of them has two questions which are kind of meddling. For this value, it says, am I pursuing healthy intergenerational relationships within the church? And secondly, am I building caring friendships in my neighborhood? Am I building caring friendships in my neighborhood? We highly value all age groups, all backgrounds, ethnic diversity, and believe we grow when we get to hear each other's stories. So before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for, because of who you are, who that makes us. And sometimes we forget to find our identity in you, Jesus. Sometimes we're still jamming it full of all sorts of temporary things, or friendships, or money, or greed, or working longer hours. But our identity's in you. And Lord, from that healthy place, how cool would it be if we really had community that would honor each other, realizing our identity? Today, Lord, give us a glimpse what it means to have a dynamic community and a dynamic relationship inside the church and outside the church. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So looking at the word dynamic, simply you got to go to your dictionary. And dynamic means this, characterized by constant change, activity, and progress. And it's a positive in uh, attitude and full of energy and new ideas. A force that stimulates change or progress within a system, process, or I'll even throw in there, in, in a relationship. A force that stimulates change in a relationship. And it actually comes from, our, uh, from some of the Greek uh, dynamis power. So it actually goes back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive dynamos. You will receive dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So this is kind of cool because what I'm hoping we see here and our church is guilty of is dynamic, powerful community and relationships. And this is not easy. As you're going to see in just a minute, uh, especially as Canadians, we're so terribly nice that it's sometimes hard for us to get deeper. We just, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry too. No, I'm sorry. Oh, it's, how was your day? I'm nice. How are, you know, like it's just like we never get deeper, right? So I'm hoping that today I want to give you just a little snapshot of maybe what heaven's going to be like. Just a little snapshot. And then maybe how can we get there and some of the things that we can actually do in our lives to perpetuate this whole dynamic change in our community and in our relationship. So first of all, here is the portion of scripture I want to share with you. And I'm just going to give you a little glimpse out of Revelation. Um, I'm not going to parse out Revelation because I'm kind of like um, another commentator that 
He's done, uh, Calvin did all sorts of commentaries on every book of the Bible except the book of Revelation. So if Calvin doesn't touch it, I think I'm in good company, you know, because it's one of these books that's like, whoa, that's overwhelming. But I want to give you a, a glimpse. I want you to put on your wonder cap. Um, Calvin Miller and Ravi Zacharias, both, they think that we're suffering from a lack of wonder. As children, they don't stop wondering. We buy them Lego. We, we set them free at the p &E. We do all sorts of cool, fun crayons. And then as we mature, we get more boring. And we don't know how to wonder anymore. Don't you think? So actually, we should wonder. The good Lord made the rainbow, so that's pretty cool. He does all sorts of wild stuff within Scripture. And I've even talked to some of you this morning that he has actually timed things that you showed up just in time. And that's the good Lord pulling off his stuff only the way he does. I love it. So without further ado, let's put on our wonder caps and read this together out of Revelation. Well, you'll find it all over chapter 3, 4, 22, but here we are at verse, or chapter 7. And it says, after this, John says, and he's having a vision, uh, after this I saw a vast crowd, which is too great to count, for every, from every tribe, or every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb now just picture this because I'm getting you to wonder is after this he saw a vast crowd so terribly big that there's no chance he could count it and this crowd was from every tribe every background every ethnicity every language all of came together and then they shouted salvation so if you ever complain about how loud the music is in here maybe heaven's not for you you know what i'm saying i'm just kidding uh, but i'm just saying you know if this many people that you can't even count are shouting i mean this is going to be mind-blowingly pretty cool and what i like about it is that there's people from every background every tribe every nation I love it. So heaven really describes this beautiful, beautiful picture of a vast crowd and there's not going to be this, uh, well, that's them and that's us. I mean, even when I went into Mexico, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? And it, it's, it's interesting that even in Mexico, I saw some Mexicans kind of act prejudiced toward Mexican Indians. And I was going, I can't even tell the difference between, like, I, I was just like, what? how do you even know who to be prejudiced against? You know what I'm saying? But yet we have it. And here's what somebody said, somebody that's really worth uh, listening to, Brenda, Dr. Uh, uh, Brenda uh, McNee. She, um, she has done some work, and she's an African-American, and she has said that a lot of the church talks the talk, but struggles to walk the walk. Now, I know I'm meddling here, but... It's interesting because the good Lord has still got to do work in our hearts and in our lives to bring people together of every tribe, every nation, every language. It's really important. I was holding back tears when she just said, well, picture this. And she says, when my boy gets his drivers, and she lives in the States, when my boy gets his drivers, and he's a brand new driver. Before he says, Mom, I'm just going for a drive. I run out the door. 
and I make sure that all of his lights are working on his car before I let him go. Because if he gets pulled over, who knows what could happen to him because he's a young black man or a young African American. And I sat there and I was holding back the tears. I wouldn't do that for my kid. I don't have to do that for my kid. So if you're sitting here thinking that, oh, that's thing of the past. No, it's still happening today, a lot of this kind of garbage. And, and you can tell even in, in when people are in traffic, when they get behind somebody or cut off and then they drive by to look what kind of person's in there, you know? And they're like, mm, right? So again, I know I'm meddling, but this is a heavenly principle, is that we should not be held back from our diversity in our relationships. Because heaven's going to be packed with all sorts of awesome people from all sorts of backgrounds. Really important. So if we want this heavenly vision, the bride of Christ that's made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, is so cool, so very diverse. If we want this heavenly vision, we must do this to have or have this in mind. And I take you to Colossians chapter 1. And Colossians is written by Paul. And this is what he says. Such a beautiful verse. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Okay, so marriages or good relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Imagine if you entered into this relationship instead of what can Jody, my wife, what can Jody, my wife, give to me? How can she make me feel better? How can my connection with my wife make me look better as a pastor or as a dad? Or if I instead, actually, Lord, I got to marry Jody. Now, how can I present her to you fully mature in Christ? That is going to revolutionize our marriages and relationships. If we stop looking at each other as what's in it for me, in, instead of what can I give, how can I present my husband, how can I present my wife, how can I present my friend to Christ as a gift. So that would mean that we would have sharpening relationships that would encourage them to become all they can be, but also deep enough relationships that sometimes we rub the burrs off each other by admonishment or by just pointing some stuff out that, you know, maybe. And this is what's really a big deal is that some of us, we're great at telling the truth, but we're horrible at saying it full of grace. I love to tell you what's wrong with you. So some of us are full of truth, but we lack grace, and Jesus is full of grace and truth. And some of us, on the flip side, we're so gracious that we never say anything worthy coming out of our mouth. Like, we're just, oh, you know. And truth never comes out. So if you can even imagine, what would Christ say in this situation? He cares about what is said, and he cares about how it's being said. Full of grace and truth. And here, we see that he is the one we proclaim, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So if I'm supposed to teach you guys with admonish with all wisdom, that would then preclude that perhaps I have some wisdom to give. Same with you guys. So if we're going to have relationships that sharpen each other and we actually egg each other on in wisdom, that means you have to be growing. That means you actually have disciplines in your life that means you have certain dynamic disciplines in your life to cause you to grow and cause you to obey Christ. And in my growing, then you guys grow because I hang out with you. 
And this is a principle that's pretty obvious within this portion here. He says we've got to admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom because we're growing so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the goal. So you want this heavenly vision? It's part of our job here on earth is to have these relationships so that we can present each other. And again, quality time comes out of quantity time. There's no chance that you can just hang out for half an hour and think you're really going to impact somebody. We've got to get together in our intergenerational relationships. Very important. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. So even that is interesting because whose energy is it? Christ's energy in us. So we don't have to conjure this up. We just simply have to be a vessel that's ready to be used for the energy of Christ to spill out onto other people. So this is really exciting stuff. So part of our job then is to have disciplines and to have rhythms that we're ready to hear from the Lord. That we're actually submitting ourselves to some cool stuff that the Lord wants to, to do in our lives. And let me tell you, we are constantly listening to a culture. We're constantly bombarded by advertisements. All of us are. I don't care how young or old you are. You are constantly hearing messages. And how much are you actually listening to the message of Christ in your life? And that takes discipline and it takes rhythms. It takes rhythms. We teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. That would mean that you are responsive to the Lord in obedience. That would mean that you're also cultivating self-control. I'm reading a book right now with the longest title in the world by Drew Dick. Um, it's this. Your future self will thank you. Secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science. Wow, eh? Write that down. Um, and it's interesting. He says what takes a lifetime to build can come crashing down in a moment with a poor decision or poor self-control. It's really, really interesting sometimes how he kind of painted this picture of it. In fact, Steve Cuss, and Steve Cuss is kind of funny because his whole podcast is on um, um, anxiety within leadership. And he just says that when you come into a room and if I'm full of anxiety, then the whole room is going to feel anxiety. So if I come into a board meeting full of anxiety, he says it's like I take a big bucket and I just take that bucket and I pour a little bit into Josiah's, a little bit into Monica's, a little bit into Helga's, and now you're all kind of like... It takes quite a special centered homeostasis kind of person to actually know who they are in Christ and have the shalom. And shalom is that word that talks about you are grounded in your wholeness of who Christ is. God gives you this peace that surpasses all understanding. So for me then to come as a peaceful individual, even if there's five people that have anxiety, then I can actually start influencing that. But he gives this, uh, Steve Cussman, in fact, if you want to uh, look at his website, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's something like stevecussword.com. <laughs> You're going to remember that one, stevecussword.com. But it's interesting about it is that he had done some research, and this goes way back beyond him. But in the 50s, when they had things like, you know, psych wards and places where they sometimes put people aside that were struggling with their mental disabilities, um, he was saying that this one guy was watching. And he watched as parents would come in and visit their adult children who were committed. Okay? So he watched 
And it was interesting, he would see this little petite mama come in, and there's no doubt that this big man who is now in the psych ward was probably a handful when he was a teenager and all that stuff. But this little petite mama would come in, and she'd open up her arms to see big Bobby, you know, and Bobby comes up. But then all of a sudden, she gives this sense of trepidatious, like a hug, but a little bit of a reserved hug. So just like, uh, I don't know how Bob's going to react. Bob also feels that. I think you can all understand what I'm saying here. Bob feels that, so now he hugs his mom, but he just responds by, well, she doesn't want a, a good old tight hug, like something's wrong, so then he gives, gives her a lame hug. And then she backs up and she says, Bob, aren't you happy to see your mom? Just think about that for a second. So she comes in with her anxiety to give him a hug. He feels that anxiety, so then matches it by just giving her a lame hug and then she punishes him by going don't you love me Bob? How many times in relationships do we do that? We guard ourselves we stop ourselves from actually getting in relationship because there's something going on with our own self image or, or something but we're not identified with Christ and we have an anxiety that we bring in and that other person now can't trust so now we actually haven't gotten deep because we brought this anxiety into this relationship. Hmm. So it's really important that we know who we are and that each one of us influences each other. We all influence each other. We see here that our goal in relationships is to present everyone perfect and mature in Christ. Do we sometimes, again, when it comes to wonder, do we take time to imagine what it would look like and feel like to present each other mature in Christ. I mean, even Josiah and I do this sometimes. I do it with my kids. If I all of a sudden, I'm disappointed in how I treat a kid, I sometimes then go down when they're in bed and I try and imagine how I'm going to treat them differently next time in a stressful situation. Do we sometimes think and imagine, how can I help my friends to present them pure and blameless to Jesus Christ as a gift. Imagination's a, a pretty big deal, I think, even in our walk. How we treat one another. We do this by working with and responding to the energy that Christ so powerfully works within us. He so powerfully works within us. Could it be that sometimes we struggle to really pour into each other because we're too insecure? Or as one article that I came across in the Star Metro here, Vancouver, it says, Canadians are nice and polite. Maybe that's why it's hard to make friends. So this goes on to say underneath here, Canada's signature openness and multiculturalism are byproducts of its niceness. But beneath that niceness lurks the lesser known side of the Canadian etiquette one that seems steeped in aloofness and reservation, writes On Gao. So he just says Canada's full of nice people, but not always deep relationships because, oh, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I apologize. I, I, you know, and we never get deeper than that. It's got a point there. You know, there's another survey done in Vancouver that says the biggest problem in Vancouver is not money or lack thereof, it's actually loneliness. People were saying, I'm lonely. And it's hard to connect and break into groups because we're too nice, maybe. 
I don't know. It's worth, it's worth delving into that. Now, I'm not saying don't be nice, because please be nice to me. I like nice people. But, is there a chance that out of our quantity time, we can get to quality stuff? And then I can actually speak into your life because I'm a gracious guy, hopefully. And I can speak truth because I have relationship. And then it's, it's just not a relationship built on correction and admonition, but actually of sharing each other's stories. And we grow together as we share stories with each other. I like that. We can do these things, this heavenly vision and helping um, present each other mature in Christ. We can do this, I think, by three things that we see in 1 Thessalonians 2. And I'm going to read from two different versions here. This is what it says. Uh, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So this is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica, and sometimes people would argue about this and that. So he's actually just saying, you guys know, and you can actually look at our reputation, you can look at the rhythms of our life, and you know that we didn't abuse anything. You know of our integrity. For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So it's kind of neat. When Paul talks, he often uses neat stuff like uh, illustrations from the athletic uh, area or family. So now he's saying, like a dad, this is how we approach you, you young Christians in Thessalonica. But I think this has a lot to say for us, too, here as Christians today in White Rock. How can we treat one another? So let's jump in just a little bit. He says, uh, in, in another uh, version called the, the Message, I think does a pretty good job of giving us the idea of what this means. It says this, With each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God who called us into his own kingdom, into his, this delightful life. I think that's a beautiful picture. Holding hand in hand, whispering, encouraging, and showing step by step how to live well. He's done a good job at that uh, translation there. So think about that even as uh, I'm a dad. And when I'm actually hanging out with my kiddo as a dad, I hold their hand, I whisper encouragement, and I also show step by step, which also means that I can't just tell them what to do, I got to show them what to do. Principles are caught, not taught. So it's really important that I also have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and also a vibrant relationship with you guys because my kids are watching. But more than that, he's not just talking just to parents here. He's saying we are like dads, or we're like moms. And this is what he's encouraging into our relationships. The first one here, he says, he's urging. And it's interesting, because the Greek word for urging there is actually the word perikleo. And if you remember back, perikleo, or periklete, that's the one that's actually called the Holy Spirit. Remember that? He's the one then Jesus ascended on high. He sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would now help us. So Jesus just doesn't have this incredible a high standard and go, you better do it. But he has a high standard. And we actually have the dynamos, the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit of God, to help us live day by day. So to give you an illustration, can I bother you again? So it's kind of like if Josiah needs help, I'd be like the Paracleo or the Holy Spirit, and I'd help him. 
along the journey. Sometimes he'd help me along the journey, whatever it is. But this is Pericleo. And that's what he's saying is that we're actually called to help one another. We're actually called to come alongside. This isn't an option. This is here. This is part of scripture. This is what our relationships should be reflecting. Coming alongside, helping one another. That would mean uh, bringing comfort. It would mean also, uh, it has a flavor of exhortation to stay on course for the long haul and a willingness to come alongside. Eugene Peterson has that book on discipleship. Uh, discipleship really is um, staying the course for the long direction. Remember that? So when I first got the book, I thought this is the most boring title in the world. But when you look at it, that's what discipleship is. Staying the course in the same direction. Staying the course in the same direction. So he calls us to perikaleo, or come alongside, or to help each other, bring comfort. But the second word he uses there as an action word is encouraging. Encourage and build each other up with hope. Another word is do not exasperate. And you know from Ephesians it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Like, don't be ragging on them, ragging on them, ragging on them. Even sometimes I, I hang out with my kids and uh, Caden will go, Mateo, 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 Mateo. I, I look at him, Caden, Caden, hey, Caden, Caden, hey, Caden. How does that feel? Right. You know, it's the worst. That's exasperating. Aren't you exasperated now? You want to nap when I just did that. Nonetheless, that's kind of exasperating, ragging on people. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about encouraging each, each other and building up with hope. Guys, we live in a hopeless world. Look around. I cannot believe how many sad stories there is on this phone of mine. In fact, my personality type is I have to take it easy looking at news. Because if something happens across the world, I can have a really grumpy day here. I'm just that kind of a sensitive soul that if something happens in Indonesia, I'm kind of bummed out here. So I actually have to calm down and not read too much. Otherwise, I have the worst life. You know what I mean? Depressed. So... Here he's saying that we need to build each other up with hope. And the world is full of hopelessness. The world is full of people that are, that are numbing themselves with alcohol or drugs or sex or money, whatever it might be, casinos. And, and there's, the world is full of stories, even this last couple of weeks, what I was telling you, is that even a pastor down in the state took his own life. And we don't know the whole story behind it, but there's this hopelessness. And our relationships should bring hope to one another. We should bring hope to one another. And I'm, I'm actually hoping that if you're a person that's characterized by constantly bringing hopelessness, that every time we hang out with you, it's like downer, 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 downer. Stop. Yes, we can share with each other, obviously. James is very clear that we share each other's hopes and dreams and good days, but we also share the bad days. But if actually you're in a relationship where you're constantly bringing others down, constantly, it's just like, you guys, the Lord didn't die on the cross just so you could be grumpy all your life and look at the negative, but he's also bringing in the positive and seeing what is Christ and where's the thanksgiving in your life? How to be thankful. Rick Warren said it pretty good. He says, much more than positive thinking, he says, is positive praying. So even if there's somebody that gets on your nerves, well, start praying for them positively. Don't like, Lord, I hope they trip over the, you know, not like that. But pray blessing in their life. It's really hard to stay negative. 
And it's kind of cool because the Lord is probably going to change them, but I'm guessing he's probably also going to change you. Positive praying. Encourage each other. This carries a, a, a meaning of helping to hold the goal before the person or to give them a reason. Barnabas was like that son of encouragement was his name. And he would come and encourage and just constantly turn people toward, don't forget the goal. Keep your eyes focused ahead. Keep your eyes focused ahead. And the last one is kind of neat. It's uh, pleading, is one of the translations calls it. So he says that first of all, urge, perikaleo, come alongside. Secondly, encourage, or build up with hope. And the third one is pleading. And it actually, the root word is where we get our word martyr. Or witness from. That doesn't sound too much like fun, does it? So you're willing to witness. You're willing to be seen. You're willing by martyr. It means you're willing to help so much and serve so much that you're almost willing to die. That's what that's saying to us here. So in your relationships with your kiddos or in church here or your neighborhood, that you're actually willing to come alongside you're actually willing to encourage and reinforce the hope in a hopeless world. And thirdly, you're actually willing to serve, serve, serve to the point where you'd almost give your life as a witness for this person. Pleading. And here's where I would say this would include sharing your story. You have a story, and some of your stories are just like, uh, but you know, there's appropriate times and appropriate places to share lots of details of your story. But I mean, I was even saying to a young man today how, how it's important to really work on your testimony. And testimony is a, your story in God. But to do the homework. I did that years ago and I'm so happy about it because I can share my testimony with you in an hour. Or if I'm sitting beside you on an airplane and I only got two minutes, I can get her done. Because I just know my testimony so well that if I cover these three main words, you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's really worth doing if you haven't done that yet. So it's so important, and we have stories that we need to share with others. You know how many hurting parents there are, brand new parents, and meanwhile they have a newborn, and yet I have five kids and I never bother get to know the newborn parents, and I have been through all that, and I could share my story and encourage them, right? Intergenerational relationships are so important. So this was include sharing your stories. Next is also bringing our best to each other. So pleading this martyr or this, or this serving one another is to bring out the best in each other, but also to bring my best to you. That would also entail that I'm doing business with the Lord if I'm going to bring my best to you. And thirdly, I think it has this connotation of lighting a fire under our butts to win the race or pay attention to the finish line. I don't know about you guys, but there's so much in culture and news that can definitely bring me down and help me forget my goals. And we need relationships that are a little bit of a big lighter under the tushy to go, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing here. Keep it warm, keep it steady, keep your eyes focused on the goal that we have before us. Yesterday we had a, a celebration of life here, a Marjorie, right? And that was cool. In fact, when they were done, Sue gave the eulogy I almost thought about giving the benediction and not preaching because it was such a beautiful time of singing and a beautiful time of the eulogy and tributes. Marjorie, she chose 
to be a positive, joyful person, even though there was some stuff that happened in her life that was not cool at all. And in her 50s, she went to YWAM to serve. And then later on, she was part of some stuff in China, um, smuggling Bibles in her 50s. And I'm going like, who does that? We're ready to hang up our skates in 50s, right? No, not her, man. She's hardcore. And it was just really cool to hear of the positive spin that she put on things because of her relationship with Christ. And she actually spilt out on the relationships of her family, of her kids, her grandkids, her great-grandkids. And it was a beautiful celebration of life here yesterday. Really beautiful. One guy from the book, Transforming Disciples, he says, discipling is about respecting the individuality of a disciple and assisting his or her uniqueness to blossom in accord with God's design. I'm going to say that again. Discipling is about respecting the individuality of a disciple and assisting his or her uniqueness to blossom in accord with God's design. You guys, we will not be properly discipled in a program. You will be properly discipled in a relationship. Which brings us back to how is your life with Christ? And now while I'm discipling others, it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means that I am going to help reproduce myself through this person or into this person. And it says here that I need to actually know the uniqueness of the person I'm discipling. I have five kids and I, I, I can't treat Brielle the same way I treat Kyler the same way that I treat Kate. They're all so terribly different. That's why I'm exhausted all the time, right? Because I'm going, you know, how do I do with it? And it's really interesting to know, in fact, even with my staff, all my staff are very different. It's taken me forever over the years to figure this out. But to see that even Josiah has a totally different communication style to Christian, to Intan, to my board. And I could just go, who cares? But no, I actually want them to help me grow and I want to help them grow. So I need to know their uniqueness and help them blossom in their relationship with the Lord or what the Lord has designed for them. Oh, we could go on and on. This is so exciting, this, you guys. But to have these relationships where we think about actually that heavenly place where it'll be packed full of all sorts of people and our part in it is simply to help uh, bring each other to maturity. And how do we do that? We do that by encouraging one another, by urging one another, coming alongside and by serving one another deeply. These relationships would include balance, learning to listen, learning boundaries, learning to say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean when you say it. So I'm going to conclude with the, what I pretty much started off with. We here are about helping people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. And one of those values is dynamic community and relationships. Am I pursuing healthy intergenerational relationships within the church of Jesus Christ? Am I building caring friendships in my neighborhood? Here's a bonus for you. This one's for free. The first service didn't get this. So this is a freebie. Bonus. You know what? Yesterday, I went to visit Ruth, and I brought this Bible, or one like it. And it was really cool because there, there was four of us gathered there and we prayed over Ruth. We read scripture. It was beautiful. Okay? And then I close my Bible and I walk out the doors 
And then all of a sudden, I, I bump into a, a nurse or whoever, attendant, and I, I talk a little bit about Ruth. And then she just said, so, and who are you? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, and then it was kind of a neat conversation. And then her background in church long ago wasn't that great. And, uh, and then she talked about she, this stuffy Bible and uh, all sorts of like the King James stuff. And it was interesting because when I described our church a bit, you could see the light bulb go on. So I used this Bible to bless Ruth and the others that were surrounded. And then I came out here and I said, well, I, you know, I don't want to push it on you, but you want my Bible? Yeah. So I, I walked out of there without a Bible, right? So I kind of took care of those two things. It's not, it doesn't happen every day. I don't share with you the bad stories, right? <laughs> but I had this intergenerational community within the Bride of Christ. I walked out. And I gave a Bible, hopefully building a relationship within the community. So it wasn't that hard, but you just got to kind of pay attention, you know? Like uh, Blackby says, Lord, you're at work. I want to be a part of it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that you'd help us to have dynamic relationships. That you'd help us, Lord, to see beyond backgrounds. That we would see beyond pain. That we'd see beyond all that stuff. And that we would come together as the body of Christ and that we would be an example to the rest of the world, that we would be a, a, a fresh glass of water to the world and show people how to not only get along and be nice, but to actually care for each other deeply. And then, Lord, I just pray that even that's a testimony to our uh, community, that they would see beautiful, loving, caring, deep relationships, and that, Father, we would look for ways to, kind of like that last word we read about, we would become witnesses or martyrs even for our communities that we're ready to share deeply with our community, with our neighborhoods, that they can actually sense the service of Christ in the actions that we do. Lord, this is exciting stuff, and I just pray that you would continue to help us develop dynamic, caring communities and relationships within our church, Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I think it would be appropriate to bless you from the book of Acts, which I foreshadowed already. But we've been talking about this power that, of Christ that works within us. So I leave you with this, that you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, even in your relationships.